simply start with listening deeply to what it is that you really think and feel about fashion and thinking about what it is that you would like to think and feel about fashion. Like what would it be in an ideal world? Because then we can really use our imaginations and try and find those solutions and research those solutions and take on a new narrative because we're, we're really trying to create a new narrative here that's different from the dominant culture of separation, of extraction, um, of profit above people. Hello, beautiful, and welcome to Pure Happy Healthy. This is a podcast all about mindfulness in different fields that are dear to my heart. Join me for Mindful Me sessions, Mindful Model, Mindful Mensch, and Mindful Master, and dive into beautiful conversations. Hi, and welcome to another Mindful Model episode. Today, I have the honor to speak to Anya Rose Campbell. She is a model, the founder of the Model Mafia slash model activist. She's all about sustainability, diversity, and social justice in fashion. And I don't know about you, but do you ever walked into a store, one of these cheap big brand stores, and you walk in and you just have that disgusting feeling of chemicals, that smell of chemicals in your nose, and then you try something on and it leaves that weird, itchy, gross feeling on your skin and that stiffness of the clothes? Did you ever ask yourself that it's not only bad for yourself, for your health, wearing these things, but how must it be for the people who produce this fashion or these shoes? And I think we had a really good example on how the conditions for the workers are when we had the crashes down and the fires in the producting companies in several Asian countries where we really saw that there is major problems still in how our clothes and how the fashion generally is produced. So today we talk all about sustainability and how we can actually make an impact as a model but also as a consumer in the fashion industry and where the problem really lies and how maybe even COVID has changed something in the way we perceive fashion and the way we deal with mindfulness all around fashion and that topic. Because I don't know about you, but ever since we have the pandemic, I have been so much more out in nature and really worship nature from a very different point of view and very much value so much being so connected with nature and also realizing that actually we don't need so much for living. We don't need to go shopping for new clothes because all our wardrobes are already so filled with so many clothes, generally speaking. And I'm glad to live in Berlin where thrift shopping and flea market shopping has been a big thing ever since, but I can feel like it's getting in so many places now that people become more interested and it becomes very cool to go thrift shopping and secondhand and flea market shopping. So also here I can see that there is so much of a trend towards upcycling and recycling and reusing in all fields. So yeah, we will speak about all these topics 
And I wish you so much fun listening to this episode. Please subscribe to my channel if you haven't done so yet. And leave me a review on Apple if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And share this episode with someone who needs to get this in their ears because it's such an important topic. Sustainability and yeah, just loving our wonderful planet and keeping on wanting to live on this beautiful planet without wasting and trashing it so please share this with all people you can and that are interested in it so without further ado let's get started with this episode with Aina Rose Campbell yeah I'm super excited to have Anya with me today in pure happy healthy in the conversation so first of all hi and welcome I'm super happy we could make this work Hi, Leandra. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be here too and very much looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, but the first question to my guests is always, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> I had um, I had just toast, actually. I really like to have a simple breakfast, just my green tea first, and then I have a piece of toast with butter. And, you know, it's it's really nice sourdough bread from the bakery around the corner. So I really enjoy eating it too. But yeah, just super simple breakfast for me. Mm, such a German breakfast, sourdough <laughs> and butter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself? How do you want to be known by my audience? Sure. Well, my name is Anya. Rose Campbell and I am a model. I am uh, an organizer. Um, I'm an occasional writer and I am the co-founder of the model activist community also known as the model mafia and we are a global community of over 400 fashion models and we work together to make the fashion industry and the world more fair, more equitable and more just. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I already had a few models here from the model activist or model mafia. And I love that group. And that's also how I found you because it is so important to give models a voice and fights for more model rights, but also for a more sustainable fashion industry. So you're also an activist for more sustainability in fashion. Would you like to speak a little bit about that? Like what is going wrong in fashion at the moment and how do you fight for it and how can we maybe all as a community uh, do something good in order to make it more sustainable? Yeah, well, I think... You know, one way that I like to approach this is by really considering the word sustainability and asking what is it that we want to sustain? And I think that makes me consider not just like the planetary health when it comes to nature, but also human health um, and how we're not just taking so many resources and polluting the planet but we're also doing that to human beings when you think about the garment workers who are being paid next to nothing to create clothes that allow us in the west or in richer countries to consume excess amounts so that is the culture in which we are currently existing and I think we need to think about 
what type of culture do we actually want to create? Well, in the work that I do, or when I talk about sustainable fashion, I think about culture. I think about a kinder world where we are creating fashion that's made to last, fashion that is made by people who are paid fair wages, fashion that is is not just worn once and thrown away, fashion that isn't super cheap, but fashion that's also that's actually good for the planet. Are we using um, regenerative farming? Are we creating things from recycled materials? Um, what happens to the earth and to the garments when when a piece is, is made? Like there has to be like a whole systems approach and a holistic approach to the life cycle of a garment and to the whole process of it. So um, for me, my journey into sustainable fashion actually started when I was doing, um, I won, no, sorry, I didn't, when I was modeling a dress, um, which was the winning dress for the uh, red carpet green dress competition in Los Angeles, which is run by Susie Amos Cameron and her husband, James Cameron, who's, um, most people know him as the director of like Avatar, Titanic, and they are like, really like um, keen environmentalists and they were really focused on transforming the uh, the way that people wear fashion at these big events and so they started with this initiative and I was able to model this beautiful dress that was made from like organic silk and was dyed by you know berries or something and really beautiful and at the time, I was new into fashion because this was 2011, and I had always been really interested in, in you know, environmentalism and recycling and things like that, but I had never really considered what fashion does to the planet. And so when I went there, I met the Camerons, and they were talking so much about it, and I really was like, wow, <laughs> I had no idea because it's so hidden and especially back then there wasn't really that much information about how damaging fashion is to the planet and so from then I decided that I would start modeling for as many sustainable brands as possible and you know most sustainable brands couldn't access models because they didn't have the same sorts of budgets and rates so I would just you know offer my services in a way that felt comfortable for me and them so that I could learn much more about it. And as I immersed myself more into the sustainable fashion world by learning about every single different designer's techniques and what they were doing and everything that was bad, um, that's how I kind of also built this fuller picture of like all of the different issues and how we need to, when we ask for sustainable fashion to be you know, organic or um recycled we also need to think about the human impact as well as as what's happening to the planet too um so yeah so that's kind of like a roundabout way of of how I think about it and where I started from mm, yeah uh, thank you so much for bringing this up that's all that also it's not for an uh, environment environmental perspective so important but also the people who are producing it and get in intoxicated by all the chemicals they're using but then also one aspect is we the people in the end who consume these clothes also get all these toxins on our skin and 
because we wear all the clothes and also that cannot be healthy even especially if you look at shoes like these fast fashion shoes um, I actually always get like really hot and swollen feet when I buy cheap shoes which I don't do anymore um, but you can see there that there must be so many chemicals inside that actually your skin is even giving a reaction um, so it's a whole full circle that really everyone every single one of us is somehow affected by and most of all I mean the planet you know we are exploiting the planet in so many ways so um I would say it's also like an educational problem that people maybe don't even know uh, what kind of harm it does because it's cheap, it's fast, it's so accessible. Um, so what is something that we can do to bring more awareness to that topic? Or um, yeah, what can we do in general? Maybe if we don't have a lot of money to support um, small designers who, where the clothes are obviously a lot more expensive. So what can we do if we still want to do good and Uh, purchase uh, clean clothes, but um, yeah, maybe don't have the massive budget. Yeah, I think you raise a really important point there. Um, and that's why in my previous answer, I talked about, you know, sustainable fashion being accessible because the people who can't afford it, they're cut out from being able to, you know, make a decision to use their money to support sustainable brands. And I know that you can buy vintage and you can buy secondhand clothes, but perhaps they want access to new clothes or they want access to certain types of designs that they're not able to find at thrift stores um, or online. Um, and I think that's actually something that the sustainable fashion industry and the fashion industry at large need to address um, and really think about because it, it just exasperates um, a feeling of exclusion and inequality. And I mean, I know that there are things like H&M's um, conscious range, but I don't really know for sure that they're paying their garment workers well. I don't, I don't think there's enough transparency there to really know how sustainable their clothing is. Obviously, it it's, looks like it's one step in the right direction. Um, but I think that you're right. There needs to be a way to make high quality clothing accessible to everyone but if you know at the moment there are you know there's a plethora of options in when it comes to things like online shopping whether uh, like vintage and secondhand online shopping and I know that that market is going to grow and the young people are actually really enthusiastic about it so um, I would definitely say that shopping vintage and shopping, shopping secondhand is a great way to find clothes which are sustainable or you know you're giving them a second life but it's much more affordable um, and then as, as far as education goes there's just so much that you can read remake is a really awesome resource um, I think that Instagram is remake our world and they They have so much information about how fast fashion affects garment workers and what it could look like to be uh, for garment workers to be in partnership and in collaboration with these big companies and why we should be looking to see which companies are supporting that kind of collaboration because that's really the future that we want to build. Um, fashion Roundtable, I really love their work, which is... Um, It's founded by Tamara Chinchik, and she is an incredible 
mind and force around sustainable fashion but she covers all things like policy um she has different writers there and they talk about culture and they talk about the environment so i really recommend that resource um and then wardrobe crisis is a fantastic podcast as well for anybody wanting to learn more about it with claire press she she interviews loads of different people all of the interviews are really juicy <laughs> you can get so much out of them so um with regards to education i think those are three really good resources and it's so easy to just um to learn more about sustainable fashion and i think that the truth is is that you know, when you talked about that shoe that was a cheap shoe that made your your feet swell up a bit that's an immediate sign from your body that the story or the the process that got that shoe onto your foot isn't actually right it doesn't feel good and i think that we all know that fast fashion and doesn't feel good and, and there's something about it that isn't right within us we really know that and so some of the education can simply start with listening deeply to what it is that you really think and feel about fashion and thinking about what it is that you would like to think and feel about fashion like what would it be in an ideal world because then we can really use our imaginations and try and find those solutions and research those solutions and take on a new narrative because we're, we're really trying to create a new narrative here that's different from the dominant culture of separation, of extraction, um, of profit above people. Um, so I think that actually there's this incredible part of this journey into sustainable fashion or into anything that you want to change, which is really also uh, listening to yourself and looking at the signs that are a little subtle, but um, really loud, actually. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the focus comes more and more on sustainability in fashion, but in also all other aspects of life. Um, I, I don't know if it's only my bubble here in Berlin, but I really feel like there is more podcasts now, there's more resources, more people talking about it, more brands caring for it. Even as you said, H&M has a conscious brand now and other brands um, or other big shops are doing the same thing. And as you said, thrifting and even online thrift shops become more accessible now and they are more and more. And I mean, you and you live in London, I live in Berlin. It has always fortunately been a really big thing here and in London as well as I know, because it's even considered cool now. I remember when I was a little girl, my uh, mom would hate shopping and she would only take me to a secondhand shop. And as a child, I really hated it because it was... The, the idea of wearing um, old clothes from someone, they must be dirty, they must be smelly. So I had really like that poverty image about it and that kind of like nasty, uh, like old look. But I think nowadays you can really find almost everything in a thrift shop and so cool things that are so unique and so individual. So actually me for myself, I prefer going to a thrift shop um, if I don't urgently need something that is basically tailored on me or something, um, because it's such an experience as well. You feel so much more enlightened when you find something that suits you and that fits your body. And that is so unique, you know? So um, I can see also a trend there, fortunately. So I feel like there is a lot happening. And then also more and more people realizing like myself with the shoes that, as you said, like listening to the small signs, that 
it is not healthy and it is not healthy for anyone. And people taking more and more uh, awareness about their health, especially now, I think, uh, with Corona, which has also, in my opinion, um, brought a change in terms of consciousness or um, even about environment. I mean, there is much more less flights, there's um, much less pollution everywhere as we see um, from the oceans and, and so on because people are less traveling, etc. cetera. Um, so what is your observation about that? Do you think uh, the, the COVID situation has changed something in, in terms of sustainability? Uh, this is a tough question because I do, obviously the emissions have fallen, right? And that is positive, but at what cost? They fell because, you know, now we're getting near to 3 million people have died. And those are only the deaths that have been recorded. So it's like, it's a, it's a tough question. And it's a tough thing to consider because I, I do think that there's been a cultural shift because we've been inside this tragedy has forced us to consider what is most important and, and what we value most. And, and you know, before we started the, the podcast, we were having a quick chat and we were talking about how most activities now go on outdoors for everybody because we can't be inside, there's nowhere to go inside. So I, I really appreciate being outside in a new way. I mean, I always love being outside and it was refreshing, you go for a walk, but now I really appreciate it. And I think that's, that's not uncommon. That's a conversation I've had with lots of people. And that deeper appreciation means that you want to protect nature more. But I think that, so I, I do think that people are more conscientious about preserving nature for the future, valuing it now, valuing the things that they have now, prioritizing what's like most important, which is often relationships when you, you feel the sudden threat that the relationship with the people close to you is, you know, really at risk because of this horrible disease, or perhaps you have lost someone. Those things massively change you and, and being in lockdown has, has changed all of us. But it is, you know, bittersweet because we've seen so many people die. We, we've, and not just because necessarily of COVID, but maybe it's COVID-related. Suicides are up, and um, some people haven't been able to go in for other treatment, or they've been too worried to go into the hospital to get other treatment, and they've they've died or they've incurred serious injury. And so, I think. You know, everything is is um, is. You can always see like a, a good and a bad from any situation. I think this is a, a particularly tragic situation, honestly. Um, but I I do hope that um, this year and last year. I mean, I know I have read that things like you know there's been more investment sustainable or sustainable futures have been talked about more. I, I do hope that that trend continues and I do hope that the, the things that have been pulled closer to us, that we care about more, that we, we remember those things as we go back out into the world.
Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think in this whole tra tragedy, there has been such a shift of thinking in so many people, much more to mindfulness in all areas of life, mindful about nature, because you spend so much more time in nature. And suddenly you realize that there's it's not normal to have these pollution in the cities and it's maybe not normal to fly to a meeting just for a day or um, to go to vacation six times a year. Um, so I think this consciousness has really come to each and every one of us. And then also that maybe you don't need to go shopping every week, but it's actually quite okay what you have in your closet. So I think it has brought a lot of positive change despite obviously all the tragedy that is um, yeah around it um, but I want to go back uh, to the model mafia where we uh, talked about in the beginning so you said you fight for more sustainability in all aspects of life um, but if someone hears maybe the model mafia this is a quite uh, maybe irritating name if you've never heard about it so can you tell me more about it what exactly is the model mafia and what are the goals and um, yeah what does it stand for yeah sure so um As I said at the beginning, we are a global community of fashion models um, and we, we work together to make the fashion industry world more sustainable, equitable and just. And, and that's really our mission statement. We don't really have like strong goals um, other than to make the world a better place in a kind of general sense. And the reason for that is because we are a community made up of many different members from all different backgrounds of all different ages of different genders and we we and that means that everyone gets an input there's it's not a hierarchical system it, we don't have like a, a linear kind of thinking and structure we're really practicing um being relational and um, the powers of being in a, a unique network and being able to be agile and reactive um, and fluid. Um, and that is something which is not necessarily um, practiced in our work or in the dominant culture. The dominant culture is very hierarchical. It's very rigid. There are lots of rules. Um, we have a rotating steering committee, which just helps with fielding inquiries we we um we encourage all sorts of leadership anyone who has an idea can share it with the rest of the group because you know we're in a google group so one person says hey i'm doing this and other people can join in if they want to um so it's really led by our members and the flow is directed by whatever feels important to them in that moment that we uh want to get behind and um my role is is much more about sort of you know building trust and thinking about cool programming that can be really powerful and moving for our members that can give them more tools and more resources that will allow them to be better activists and better humans in the world um and so yeah so you know i i love that fluidity that we have because we're really practicing um living in the type of world which mirrors nature more which mirrors um 
just life more it has more of a flow it is more organic and um it it also as i said it's like more focused on building relationships because that's how you build trust and that's how you allow people to have a strong sense of belonging um and in the modeling world when you're a model it's super stressful you you don't always feel that you belong you feel that you're replaceable you feel that you don't have a have that much power or that much of a voice um and we're really the complete opposite of that and and in some ways it's an antidote for models to being able you know to exist in that industry um and one of the things that i always like to talk about that that happened last year obviously the pandemic happened it was super hard for a lot of our members so we created a model mafia covid relief fund and that um was that is basically donations come in from members who can afford to donate and those who are in trouble ask for help from the fund and are able to be given some sort of relief and we could only have done that if we had really focused on um building relationships on making people feel safe um on making a trusting environment rather than necessarily okay we want to go out there and we want to recruit this many more members and we want to um you know do a social media campaign that that reaches this many people it's much less about that those things happen because you focus first on building a really thriving community Mm. And I think especially right now, it is so important to have a community where you can feel safe and have that safe space, no matter what kind of community is. I mean, so many people have been isolated and locked inside their homes for so long already. And I think we as humans really crave that feeling of belonging and crave community as well. So it's such a nice yeah, thing to be able to connect to other people who are in a similar situation than you are all around the world. If it's through this platform or if it's through social media or even your neighbors or whatever it is, I think community is becomes more and more important in such an isolated work. So it's so beautiful to, yeah, support each other in every way. Yeah. And, you know, the, um, some of the other things that that we've been able to achieve because of this are also like um, when we spearheaded the Me Too movement within the fashion industry and, and hundreds of models shared anonymous stories of abuse, well, that led to industry-wide changes and Condé Nast created their code of conduct and certain photographers were fired. Um, and uh, we also have, you know, been a part of a number of different climate marches where, the, you know, we're saying we're the faces of fashion and we're demanding a cleaner fashion industry or we're raising awareness for garment workers and, and talking about what it is that they have to go through. So yeah, it's, it's really an amazing community that, that is both focused on changing the world, but also um, in being a supportive place for, for each of our members as well. Mm. You also said that um, it's such a diverse group. It's people of all different genders, uh, yeah, backgrounds, etc. And you also um, are an activist and advocate for diversity and stand in for diversity. So would you like to share a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think that we need to have um, 
we need to have lots of different people at the table because most of the background operating systems that govern our lives were not created by most of us. You know, we didn't have a say in what they were going to be like. And so it's really important that if we want to create this future, one, that we're given a seat at the table, but two, that we also create our own separate tables because sometimes, you know, having a seat at the patriarchy means you have to become like the patriarch. You know, you have to embody the masculine um, rather than the feminine or however you want to identify yourself that's non-typical, hierarchical, patriarchal. They have to mold themselves into what is acceptable in the dominant narrative. But actually the dominant narrative needs to, needs to make space for people as they are. And also there needs to be a way that others can create their own, like I said, like metaphorical table, if you like. And so some, you know, in the work that, that we do, or if, if we are ever featured, we always um, ask that a, a diverse set of our members are featured in, in a piece of press, if, especially if it's going to be like Model Mafia branded, or we, we really listen to our community and think about what is it that the models are doing or the different members are doing? How can we really support them, support their leadership, highlight what it is that they're doing, um, whether that's on social media, or um, just by giving them the opportunity to speak at an event. Um, we want to make sure that all stories are being told, and especially those of the marginalized communities, those whose stories aren't often told, because they're often the people who are facing the most discrimination, the most hardship, and they often actually have the solutions because they're from their communities and they, they know what their communities need. And so they need to be part of creating solutions 100%. So we, we just, we understand that and we really just try to facilitate that as much as that we can. Mm. Yeah, this is such an important discussion to have, I think, because, yeah, there's still so much injustice everywhere and even hidden, often hidden sexism, hidden racism, as we could see, um, yeah, also from the Me Too and the Black Lives Matter um, movements, we could really see how this is coming out. And I guess we're on a really good path as well here because this is really being talked about now and social media makes it possible to speak about it openly and even open this discussion at all and more people but also especially models as we're talking about this now um yeah open up about their personal stories and yeah i'm, I'm glad uh yeah there are places to talk about this now and we really open open for these topics to come more into mainstream um Did you personally have any bad experiences in terms of um, sexual harassment on, on the modeling or discrimination in whatever form? If you want to share about it, obviously. Um, I mean, I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm half Chinese and um, I definitely did notice when I started modeling that there just weren't that many opportunities for me or if, if I was, you know, if I was booked for a group job let's say I was like kind of in the background I was never really like the lead girl but I was sort of there for a brand to say hey we're trying to target the Asian community too or you know we, we it was it was very much like tokenism I found but um that 
yeah, that that's that's been most of my experience within groups. Um, I think that it's changing a lot now. Um, and what was actually interesting is that um, when I started, Asian models were kind of coming up. So then there was this like explosion of like, oh, Asian models, there were lots of Asian models around. And then people were like, well, you're not really Asian enough looking. So we can't book you for these jobs. And I was like, okay. So first, you know, it, it, I'm like the side person. And then it's like, oh, you know, you could, you almost fit what we need, but not quite. And it, it would be, it was, it would be nice if they just made more room for all different types of people. But I do think that that's happening a lot more now. I do see like lots of different mixed race models of lots of different backgrounds, different um, age models, different size models. So I really love that. I think the fashion industry has come so far in the last 10 years. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Um, in big part, I think, because of the rise of social media. Um, and then as far as sexual harassment goes, I mean, I haven't had awful experiences like some people have had. But I have had awkward encounters, definitely. Like, you know, just people coming a bit too close, maybe like, you know, touching you, really, you feel like they shouldn't really be touching you. And there's just always this power dynamic, I think, if you're a young woman and you know that you're new to the industry and you're working with somebody who has tons of experience and who has a great reputation you you want to you want to that to do well with them you want them to remember you you want them to take great pictures of you um so i think as soon as there's a power dynamic there it it can immediately lead to exploitation mm. What I see as a big problem there is that so many models are so extremely young. I think yeah. in the age of 13, 14, 15, at least speaking for myself, I didn't really know who I was and I didn't really, couldn't really stand for myself and uh, set my boundaries. So I think that's when the exploitation and the hierarchy comes in. And it's really difficult for these young women to really speak up for themselves or even know how the industry works. You just get thrown into it and you don't really, you think you have to do everything people tell you. And then that's when all the bad things happen. As for myself, I started quite late. I started when I was 26 and me in the opposite, I had to really deal with kind of age discrimination hearing from agencies mm. how I was way too old for modeling. And even though they didn't even know my age before, they were asking for me to come to the casting. And then when they asked for the age, suddenly I was too old. So just judging from a number, not from my look, um, they would discriminate me basically. So um, that has been in my way uh, for yeah, getting into some agencies, getting jobs, etc. So I, I can also see how we're making a change in terms of age, what you said before, but I still feel like we are very much in the extremes, like you said, um, that we either have the, um, the, the white people or the very Asian looking or the very black uh, woman. And then we have the very slim models and then we have the plus size models, but where is everyone in between? Then we have the very young girls and we have the old agers or the tall and the petite, but I still feel like the middle where most people are in the spectrum of the middle, they're really not represented here. Um, so what is your, your view on that? You, did you have a similar experience also with your age now? Um, 
I mean, I I think that fashion and culture has an obsession with youth that's extremely unhealthy. And, you know, you see that so much in the modeling industry. Um, and, and, you know, women like you and me being in the fashion industry and still working, we are creating an alternative to that because we're obviously not 16, 17, 18, while we may look younger than our age. Um, and so I was on the one hand, I would say, you know, it's, it's, I, I value my work and I value your work for, for showing up and, and representing something different. Um, but it's really up to casting directors and to companies to also want to change their narrative and value people who aren't on the extremes to show that culture does value everybody else. Um, and I, I do think though, so, as I was saying, that it is getting better. I, I feel like I see friends who are in their thirties who are working and I think that's really positive. So, um, I think we are slowly, slowly, slowly moving towards that. And I, and when it comes to race, I feel like I am seeing lots of mixed race um, models, not just like, oh, really Asian girl. Um, I, I'm seeing actually a lot more in between. And so that gives me confidence. But in terms of um, age and size, I think I'm seeing a little bit less. But I, I, I am hopeful that it will keep moving forward especially you know the more conversations like this keep happening mm, yeah I'm glad you made uh, a positive observation about that and uh, it gives hope for going in this direction to the future is there any other topic that we didn't talk about till now that you would like to share before we end this interview um well um I think, you know, we touched on mindfulness before we started talking about, about this. And um, I, I really think that mindfulness is such an, an empowering practice that, I mean, I have to do my meditation every day, otherwise I cannot function. I'm just like, I'm not a good human being unless I do my 10 minutes meditation every day. But um, I, I feel that, you know, something that I'd like to add is that when I spoke about the signs maybe that you are being given that, that maybe you're not noticing, like, you know, those shoes which were making your feet a bit uncomfortable, I found it difficult to really tap into those signals that I was being given and really understand them before I was doing meditation. And then the more that I was able to quieten down and really listen to my body actually, um, get these feelings and senses from my body, the more I felt um, that I had like an inner knowing and um, a lot of direction actually to know what to do in any moment. Um, so, I think that it's nice to just end by saying you can feel more empowered in yourself and learn so much sort of secret knowledge that, that your body and that your mind wants to tell you by having a, a mindfulness practice. 
And I would love to actually hear your opinion on that too. Mm, yeah, it's the same for me. I have been meditating for the past, I think, three years now. And I really, really need it. I do it six out of seven days, I would say. Um, sometimes I'm just really not in the mood or it's a stressful morning, so I skip it. But I really noticed a difference. And I have been so much more mindful with uh, like everything I do ever since and I do so many practices which keep me like through the day like journaling and sometimes I do yoga and just stopping for a moment and mindful eating for example or um, asking my dreams for advice and just taking the time for myself and being mindful in all areas of my life and that has really slowed me down. I also go into nature minimum once a day um, and it has really changed my life. Before that, I always thought, what are these people always talking about this meditation? This like sounds so incredibly boring, just sitting there doing nothing. I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this. And I don't understand why people benefit from this. But then I just started trying it and really it does make such a big difference. And yeah. I can also see a trend though of more and more people practicing it. And I think this is a really beautiful development, how more and more people are really connecting to themselves and getting into that stillness and really listening to their body and listening to what they need. And then you can, you're able to really read the signs like the shoes in the example or what your body wants to eat or when your body is tired and wants to sleep or whatever it is you just become so much more aligned and attuned with your body so yeah thank you for sharing also your thoughts on that and yeah this is such a beautiful way to to close this conversation I'm super, super happy and grateful we could make this work. And thank you for all the work that you do and that you put out there and also on this podcast, obviously. And yeah, I'm excited to hear more from your journey and from your work. Thank you, Leandra. I love this conversation. I love the questions. Um, and yeah, you really got me thinking. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me on.